everyone. You're listening to Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional ridiculous chats about everything that we seem to think but don't say. Very little is off limits. Sit back, enjoy, and let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Mom's Fashion Addict. I know you guys have seen all of those cute, amazing, unique bleached t-shirts that are all over the internet right now. They're the hot commodity that say mama, raising kids, and everything in between. Make sure you check her out for over 40,000 designs, your own custom colors, and anything that you can imagine. Links in bio. Make sure to support from one mom to another. and welcome into another amazing episode of Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. I have an incredible mom that's here with us today. We're just going to call this the Mom Pod. Um, this episode is going to be amazing in regards to our three-part series, The Diagnosis versus Defeat. And today we're going to be talking to a mom that you might have seen her video. I'm pretty sure you have if you've been on TikTok. Her name is Caitlin Marie 788 on TikTok with over 10.1 million views 1.3 million likes and over 9,200 comments. She posted a video showing a hemophilia factor eight port infusion on her son. So we have her here with us today and we are going to be talking to her, sharing her story and hopefully helping other parents, grandparents, and anyone who might be unsure of this diagnosis and how to go on from the diagnosis versus defeat. Uh, hemophilia factor eight, it's also called factor eight, is a genetic disorder that is caused by missing or defective factor eight, a clotting protein. Although it is passed down from parents to children, about one third of cases found have no previous family history. So I want to welcome in Caitlin. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. I am so honored to have you on here. After I saw your TikTok video that has gone completely viral and I'm sure has helped so many people understand this. Um, I really appreciate having you on. So tell me a little bit about your story. How many kids do you have? Where are you from? How's your day-to-day life? So I'm Caitlin. I live just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina in Race Car Central. Um, I have two boys with severe hemophilia A. Before my boys were diagnosed, I had, I'd never even heard of it before. Um, when my first son was diagnosed, um, I got tested to see if I was a carrier, and I was. So I had no idea my whole 24 years of life that I was a carrier for it. Um, And so, and all my family is women except for my brother. So hemophilia comes out in men usually. And so for like five generations, it's all women. So it's possible that he just didn't get the defective gene um, and that it's been in my family for generations. We just didn't know. Wow. Um, And I saw on your social media, and I will post this in the bio, your Instagram and your TikTok for anyone who might have questions or they just want to get more information, especially from you. Um, How Mm -hmm. old was your son when you first found out with the diagnosis? Um, He was six days old when we found out. When we were in the hospital with him, um, my pregnancy, everything was perfect. When he was born, he had jaundice. So they do like a heel stick to test his levels to see 
um, if his jaund- what his jaundice levels are. So they did that, and that wouldn't stop bleeding, which we thought was kind of weird. They would actually just use that one stick for all of his testing um, because it just was it was bleeding pretty good. So um, we ended up going home. Um, it was still bleeding, and when we went to that pediatrician for like our um, checkup, he was like, mm, "I don't think this is normal." Like I would go to the ER and just have them put like a little suture in it or something. So we went to the ER and like they ran labs for, I don't even know what, um, ended up putting this little mesh fabric on it that just kind of bonds to the skin. So it would stop bleeding. So then we went home, everything was fine. A day later, um, his circumcision, which he was circumcised in the hospital and everything was fine for some reason. Um, but when we got home, of course, at like 2 a.m., I went to change his diaper and it, it was just full of blood. And I freaked out and I was like, well, I'm not going back to the local hospital. I'm going to drive to Charlotte because I was living in um, South Carolina at the time. So I drove to Charlotte, Levine's Children's Hospital, and mm-hmm. they cauterized it um, with like silver nitrate. And that just it held for like an hour or two and then it just broke through and it was bleeding more so they ended up calling in um, one of the best urologists in charlotte um to come in and he was like yeah this is not normal so we admitted it or we got admitted and they told us they were going to do some testing and it's just kind of all a blur um but it ended up coming back i think they tested us for three bleeding disorders which i had to guess was probably hemophilia a hemophilia B and von Willebrand's because those are like kind of the most common. And it came back positive for having low um, factor eight in his blood. Um, So they ended up giving him the factor eight product and he healed up no problem. But yeah, that was a scary moment. (laughs) I'm sure. The dangers of the diagnosis for those who are listening, it's the body's inability to appropriately clot. Um, And it also depends on the percentage of the factor eight levels of how severe the risk of bleeding is. So did they give you, I'm assuming like what his percentage is kind of moving forward? Did you have to go like on Google and do some research since obviously, like you said, this was not something that you knew of in your family or that you were passing down? Yeah. So they gave us a bunch of information, which I really didn't remember much because I was just like, freaking out. And of course I Googled it, which is not the right Mm -hmm. thing to do for a bleeding disorder because I thought like our life was going to be like, it was going to be hard um, when he got older. So I spent like a lot of time stressing about like, what does our future look like? You know, like it just, is he going to be able to do normal things? I don't know. So um, they got us set up with a pediatric hematology oncology office. Um, They're actually a hemophilia treatment center, you have to have like a special license or something to be one of those. So they know everything. Um, They're really great. And they set us up with a genetic counselor who explained like how it's passed on, that I might be a carrier, stuff like that. Um, And basically she didn't let us leave until we felt confident in knowing exactly like what we were dealing with and like the ins and outs of hemophilia, which is amazing. Cause I know a lot of moms that are newly, have newly diagnosed kids, they don't get that they're kind of clueless and they come to me like asking questions and I'm like well how do you not know this like I feel like your doctor should inform you so yeah and I'm sure it's hard because here you are with a newborn and you're not really sure you know I mean we always laugh and say that you know parenting does not come with a manual and you just have to kind of go with it so being a new mom and going through everything and then realizing okay something's not right here. Then having to sit in a hospital and just being presented with this condition. I mean, 
your first thought is I have to take care of my child, but I don't know what this looks like for the future. So I'm sure that was just beyond stressful and scary. And like we all say, don't go on Google because sometimes it actually makes it worse. Because <laughs> you're oh my gosh, so much worse. <laughs> so um, knowing how you found out the diagnosis um, and the testing and everything upon that, um, I know that you do have another son. Has your other son been diagnosed as well? Yeah, so we know we knew that um, the genetics of it is if you're a carrier mom, you can have an unaffected boy or a hemophiliac boy or a carrier daughter or an unaffected daughter. So 50-50 basically either way. Um, so we knew there was a chance that he could have hemophilia. So going into it, um, I kind of just prepared for him to have it. Um, so I wasn't like, I guess, surprised when he did. But so we went into it. Um, the plan was like, natural birth, no tools, no totally like kind of like unassisted, no tools or vacuum or anything like that. Um, and then they were going to take blood from the umbilical cord. So they didn't have to poke him to test to see if he did have hemophilia. Mm -hmm. So somehow that failed. I don't know if it like clotted before they got it there. I'm not really sure. So they ended up having to poke him. Um, they took him out of the room for that. And I kind of wish they didn't because I know they poked him all over trying to get blood <clears throat> because he ended up getting a hand bleed from that, from being poked too much in his hand. And, um, but they ended up, I think that blood work failed as well. So they had to go in and poke him for a third time or a second time. Um, that finally worked. And for whatever reason, and it's only supposed to take 24 hours to get the results back. Um, it took like three or four days. So here I am with a little baby. Um, we don't know for sure if he has hemophilia because the lab work is not back, um, but his hand is growing and swelling and it's black and blue and it's literally like three times the size it's supposed to be. And they just seem like kind of nonchalant about it. Like there's nothing we can really do. And I'm like freaking out because it's a little tiny newborn baby. And there's like, we can't do anything. We can't give him factor, but I'm pretty sure we all knew he did have hemophilia before the results came in. Um, we finally got the results in and he was positive for it as well. So we got him treatment and then he, it took a lot, quite a bit of factor. Um, we left the hospital with an IV actually still in so that I could give him factor products to make him mm -hmm. heal. And for those listeners, um, she does, I'm so amazed and appreciative of this, your journey and sharing your journey, because I know a lot of people being scared and having that fear and that stress is, you know, okay, how do I fix this? And what's wrong with my child? And how do I move forward from here? And what does the family aspect look like? What are they going to be growing up? And you are so vulnerable in showing the journey. So her name is Caitlin Marie 19 on Instagram. Um, and it's amazing not only to hear the story and like that with his testing um, with your second child, but actually to physically see the post and see like how this affects children and people and what this actually looks like. I think seeing it visually is something that really makes you wake up and think, I mean, I know I would never have known anything about this except for you being vulnerable and showing that on TikTok. So knowing that there's not a cure for the, for the, the condition, um, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Do you have, I mean, for some conditions, some people have, you know, at-home nurses that come help out, but seeing how vulnerable you were with your video, it looks like you're doing all of the warrior work. So what does it look like at home for you with your children? So I learned that, or I figured out to ease my anxiety about um, the situation of having children with bleeding disorders. Like I thought like some moms are afraid to do infusions and stuff, but 
I knew if I um, just dove right in and learned how to do it myself, then the chances of us being in hospital and being admitted, stuff like that, um, would be less. And toddlers, they fall, they, you know, hit their head, they scrape their knee literally all the time, especially boys. So they're just crazy. And um, so for me, I felt like if I learned how to infuse myself, that would take a lot of the anxiety away from me because um, if anything happens, no problem. Like I'll just infuse them real quick, you know? Um, the same for sports, like when they want to play sports, I'll allow anything except like football and hockey because those mm-hmm. are literally just contact all the time. Very dangerous for even someone that's not hemophiliac. So, um, but yeah, literally all I would have to do is just infuse them real quick right before their game and their levels are good. And if they were to get injured, it wouldn't be bad, I guess. Where did you learn for those listeners that may be like, okay, I'm walking into this. How do I learn or where should I learn this from? How did you learn the infusion and the treatment process? Where did you, did you have like a nurse that came or did you kind of work with a company or, or what's like the best probably response for listeners of where to go to get that knowledge. So we were really blessed to have found an amazing specialty pharmacy. Um, They provide nursing as well. So in our nurse, she used to work at the hemophilia treatment center for the pediatric one. Um, So she's like amazing. She's an amazing stick. She's very experienced. Um, So, but drug co has been amazing. And Kristen, our nurse has been amazing. She um, Carson started out with the port, as you see, um, in the video on TikTok. So they taught me how to, um, access it. You have to stay really sterile. Um, and that's kind of like a, for a one-year-old, that's kind of like a two-person job. So, um, me and my boyfriend work opposite shifts. So, um, I had to learn, or I took it upon myself to kind of figure out, okay, like, how can I do this, um, by myself? So, I figured out how to wrap him up and like swaddle him into a blanket, which I also shared a video of like how I do that on TikTok so that he can't like reach around and grab anything. And then I'll kind of like straddle him um, so he can't flop around. And then I'll do the whole (laughs) sterile procedure, clean it off really good um, and infuse him. So I figured out how to do all that by myself. Um, And then a year, he had the port for a little over a year. And then he got an infection um, I had left him access, so it was totally my fault. I left him access for a bleed that he had, and I woke up the next morning, um, and he was chewing on the line. <laughs> so bacteria from his mouth got in that line into his port. Um, that was a really scary time because he ended up getting a fever, um, and then I brought him down to our bed that night. In the morning, I woke up to him having a seizure, and I was like, oh my gosh, like panicking, calling 911. Ambulance took us to the emergency room. Um, and they tested his line for bacteria and it came back positive for a bacteria that's not typically found in the port because it was from his mouth, which is not supposed to be chewing on it. But um, so they ended up having to pull the port out. And then we had the option to um, either start a new product that is actually like a sub Q injection. So you don't have to do it directly into the bloodstream, but it is a little on the new side. So I decided to um, try to learn how to poke his veins um, instead of getting a new port. And if it didn't work out, I would have just gotten him a new port. But um, our nurse was really patient with me. She had taught me how to um, infuse his veins. And that was very stressful because the port's really easy. It's kind of just like an easy stick. 
Um, and then but finding veins is like a whole different animal. <laughs> um, so I had to learn how to do all that, like learn how to become a phlebotomist, basically. <laughs> um, and that was like very stressful. But after a few months, I got it and I can get it every time. First try. I'm sure that's hard, especially with a young child and a toddler that everything is, I need to go here. I need to see this. I need to touch this. I need to run here. I need to crawl here. So I think listening just Mm -hmm. to the treatment, it's just for listeners, especially don't be too hard on yourself because there is no right and wrong. It's you trial by error. You learn as you go. And like I said, you don't get Mm -hmm. a manual of how to be a parent. And especially it sounds like with this, you just have to learn what works best for you and what you're comfortable with at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I love watching. There's a specific video that you have on your social media that you want your children to live the same life with the same experiences as everyone else. And you can see them riding their bike. You can see them still being able to be kids with this diagnosis, um, especially almost with the fear of like, you know, well, if something happens, you know, if they hurt themselves, if they fall. So how did you kind of get over the stress of, understanding like, yes, I want my kids to still be kids and, and be able to have these experiences later on. So, um, when Carson was seven months old, that's when he got his port. He got it a little bit earlier than most kids with hemophilia would, because he was having a lot of bleeding, like just from picking him up, he would have bruises in his armpits and they would just continuously bleed, um, and get worse. And on his rib cage, stuff like that, his legs were all beat up. So he got the port at seven months old. And then they started infusing him. I think we started it like two times a week, but we ended up needing to do three times a week to avoid bleeding. So um, learning how to do all that by myself um, definitely took the anxiety away. And he does get it still three times a week. So um, basically, I mean, he jumps off the furniture. He's just literally all boy, like does everything all the other kids do. Um, you just have to watch for like head bumps, I guess. Um, if he hits his head, you're going to want to do an infusion just in case because brain bleed is not something you want to deal with. But, um, yeah, so I guess just getting over my anxiety was learning how to self-infuse, um, my self-infused Carson. So he can do all the things that other kids do. We actually just got him a little quarter midget race car for his birthday. So we're planning on getting him into racing because we are in Charlotte, so you know, racing central. Um, so yeah. So for the infusion and the treatments at home, what do you do, especially for how young he is to get him more, I would say more comfortable, or is it something not to say he's used to it, but is it something that he's kind of understanding or how do you kind of go into that treatment process of like, okay, you know, as an adult, like this is what I'm going to do, but obviously with children, everything is so different and scary. So how did you kind of figure that part out with him? So as a baby, I started putting juice in the old sterile water syringes and letting him like suck on it and suck all the juice out. So that was like really good distraction for him. Um, As he got older, I put together a little infusion prize box. Um, So I put like a bunch of little like dollar store stuff in there. So after he got his infusion, he would get to pick out a gift. Um, And then it kind of moved on to like, oh, I get to watch the tablet while I'm doing this as a distraction. And now he, I mean, honestly, he's just used to it. And I, the nurses told me you'll be surprised how fast they get used to like being stuck. And I was like, yeah, right. But they really, like, he really did. Like he got used to it and it became not a big deal. Like it was just 
he doesn't even I don't even think he knows that like other kids don't do the same thing you know so for him to have a little brother mm-hmm. who does have to go through the same thing like I think if Bryson didn't have hemophilia um it would be kind of weird for Carson because I don't know he would probably feel different but I'm just really glad that they have each other to lean on and like no one's going to understand them better than their brothers so how long does a typical infusion take like let's say there's there's no hiccups there's no issues the day is going fantastic you're not running here or running there how long does a typical infusion take so with the port um it's a little more complicated i would say it takes like five to eight minutes um because you gotta do the whole sterile thing um you have a saline flush to flush out the port line and then we do factor um and you just kind of push it as slow as you can and then another saline flush to make sure all the factor went through the line and is in his bloodstream and then you do a heparin um, flush which basically just ensures that there's no blood clots that form in the port line so that can be it can take a little while but i would say no more than 10 minutes but um peripheral iv infusion super easy it literally takes like max five minutes ever so I just put them up on the counter. Basically, I drop the factor, um, put it in a little syringe, and then we do like alcohol to clean off his arm and then to put the tourniquet on and just infuse him and then we're done. It's super easy and he doesn't mind it at all. So not only are you a super mom of two and they're boys, but you're also like a home <laughs> nurse and learning how to do everything. So I cannot even imagine how you find the time to do this and then kind of figure out okay I'm a mom I'm a nurse and I'm I'm just a warrior so I'm <laughs> amazed at all that you do um, so if we have a listener maybe that they're in the hospital or like your situation they uh, got home and realized hey something's not right and they just received this diagnosis with their child and they are completely new what advice would you give for moving ahead to these parents that are kind of on that almost panic of now what do I do or how do I feel? Um, so I would say not to stress, even though I know they're still going to stress anyway, but um, <laughs> don't stress mm-hmm. out. Like, don't overthink it. Like, just take it day by day because honestly, Carson hasn't had a bleed, like any like cuts that don't stop bleeding or bruises that don't stop bleeding in two years now. So as long as he gets those infusions, he's good and just... I don't know. In my head, when I was when Carson was first diagnosed, I just I put myself into postpartum depression, and it was bad. So mm-hmm. just I don't know. N- nothing that I stressed about happened. <laughs> so that is good. I would just <laughs> say not to stress and um, educate yourself as much as you can. Um, find all your resources. There's a local. There's like a statewide chapter in almost every state um, for bleeding disorders. Um, so they have a ton of good resources. There are some Facebook groups, stuff like that. Um, but that's part of why I wanted to share my journey on social media because I like couldn't find anything. No one's really posting about it. Um, so I wanted to share kind of what I go through so that it gives other new moms that have newly diagnosed babies with bleeding disorders, like a chance to kind of see what it's like and that, yes, there's hard times. Um, but Overall, it's really not that bad. Mm -hmm. And I think when you hear this 
oh, it's, you know, it's a clotting disorder and it's something that you there's no cure. It's almost like this panic moment in the brain from humans of like, oh no, if you walk, you're going to bleed to death. Or if you do this, you're going to be so injured. And like, it, this is just over. So I think like you said, it's getting rid of yeah. that anxiety of be trained, be educated, know how to handle it. And then they're kids. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing, like you said, how resilient they are. If they just think, well, everyone's like this. Everyone, everyone gets this infusion and has to has to handle this. Um, I was amazed at not only the amount of people that your TikTok video touched, but the amount of comments that people are responding. Like, I have this. I've been through this. Like, thank you for doing this. So, like you said, it's amazing what you're doing to be able to make this such a focal topic, so that moms that may have no clue where to go for the resources now have kind of like a hub, so to speak, which, like I said, you're the warrior. Now you're like the resource advocate. You're the education specialist with this, but it means so much to so many. I'm sure we're going to have a few listeners too with this. Um, so what is the age gap between your two children? Um, like three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then with your newborn, do you see with um, your youngest, did you kind of see the same um I guess with like their percentages, like, did you kind of see similar situations? Like you've already been through it with your oldest. So do you kind of feel more prepared or comfortable with your youngest kind of leading through this? Yeah, I feel like since I've already been through like a lot of the hemophilia stuff with babies and toddlers and everything with Carson this time, like I feel totally like fine. Like I'm not like freaking out or anything. Um, They both have the severe version. There's different types there's mild moderate and severe and um the chances of you having severe is a lot higher than like mild or moderate so um, and i think that's i'm a carrier for the severe version anyway so we knew that he was gonna be severe um mm-hmm. but yeah i think that this time is a lot easier <laughs> and we haven't really had as many like bryson actually just had his first bleed the other day um and he's five months old so um, he got a bruise on the bottom of his rib cage, uh, from what I think was sitting in his high chair, just from his bone, like touching, rubbing against it. So he had to get just one dose of factor and it healed right up. It stopped bleeding. So, but so far it's been kind of uneventful, which is good. But having all my resources in place, like from already having a child with a bleeding disorder, like having our specialty pharmacy and already having the hematologist and, Already knowing what I know is it definitely has been a lot easier this time around. With your surrounding support system, like with grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, um, is it something that you also have educated everything that you've learned to kind of help your support system be a little bit more familiar? Um, so that kind of that fear isn't there when like they're around or they're watching or anything like that. Has that been kind of an easy thing to do or kind of difficult? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of along for the ride with me with Carson and then once I, once they, Carson started getting regular infusions, um, they kind of saw like along with me that, okay, like he can do these things and it's fine. So at first they were definitely a little nervous. Um, and then Johnny, my boyfriend and their dad, um, also like we were all just in it for, to learn, but Johnny, um, I taught him how to do the port infusion as well. And I trained him how to do, um, the vein infusion. So, there's days where I'm busy, I'm at work, whatever. Um, he can step in and do the infusion as well, which is really awesome. Does he handle it as well as a man point of view than you do? I feel like some men get very freaked out by <laughs> all his things and we don't get phased by much of anything. Yeah. Um, he, well, he 
definitely want to squeamish it first, but I mean, it's just <laughs> something you got to do. So you get over it pretty quickly. Our nurse trained me on her. She literally came over one day to do Carson's infusion and she's like, okay, now you're going to stick me. And I was like, right here, right now, like I have to do this right now. I wasn't prepared <laughs> and it was, it's scary. It's really scary at first, but once you get a feel for it, I had to like take my mind almost like not like the emotional part and just what am I doing? Like focus on what I'm doing, you know, not that this is my child and I'm sticking it with needles and like, it's really scary, but just had to take my mind away from the emotional part and just focus on what I'm doing. And to touch on something that you had mentioned, especially because we talk to a lot of moms and we have a lot of listeners on here that we are normalizing postpartum depression. It's something that happens, especially after you have a child. It's not something that is wrong with you. Um, and postpartum has so many different levels of feelings and emotions. And it is something that is, it, it needs to be talked about more. So um, especially with you voicing that you had postpartum depression and dealing with this, how did you juggle having both at the same time and being a new mom and still trying to kind of figure out what to do next? Um, postpartum depression is kind of like a weird thing because in the moment I don't like, you don't really feel like you have it. You're like, Oh, it's just a bad day, whatever. Um, my son was born in April and it wasn't until like December when I was like, okay, like something's not right. Um, so I went to get help. Um, they put me on medication and stuff for a little bit, but yeah, it's postpartum is, it's just weird. Like you don't really, in the moment you're like, I don't know, like I, you know, I'm just tired. There's kind of just like excuses for it. But looking back, like I'm pretty positive that not only did I have to learn how to become a new mom and do all the new mom things, but I also have to like learn how to become a medical mama too. So mm-hmm. it was crazy. And this time around with Bryson, I think just it's well less stressful. I already was a seasoned mom, seasoned medical mom, whatever. So this time around, thankfully, I didn't get postpartum depression. And it's like, it's amazing, like being a mom without having that clouded brain, you know. With your support system and all the resources, um, did you find any support groups, maybe like mom boards or any specific places that kind of helped through this process of maybe somebody who lives close by or somebody whose children are kind of going through the same thing that maybe listeners could kind of direct to or maybe go to? So I, um, in the beginning, I found like support through my local chapter, uh, Bleeding Disorders of North Carolina. Um, they had a lot of good resources and they also did some events in Charlotte as well. Um, the first one we went to was a Bleeding Disorders Walk where you raise money um, for the foundation that helps families, stuff like that. Um, in the beginning, there really wasn't much, but it's, and then I found a group on Facebook called Hemophilia Mother. There's a lot of people, even from other countries, in there. Um, that's kind of where I found support as well. But as far as like knowing people in person, I don't really. I just met a new hemophilia mom that actually lives in Concord, so that's really cool. Um, and we became really good friends. But other than that, I mean, I haven't really personally met anybody before. There's only about twenty thousand people in the United States that do have it, so. I think it's important, even why we're doing this podcast, it's to normalize speaking about something that just because you're going through something, just because there is a diagnosis does not always mean that you are alone. 
And I'm sure with that feeling of automatically knowing, okay, this is going to be my journey as a mother. This is going to be my son's journey. You almost have that feeling of like, great, I'm all alone. I'm out here in this world trying to figure this out. Me and my partner are trying to be the best parents that we can be, but who else is dealing with this kind of struggle? So I always talk about reaching out, finding resources, getting educated, but also being vocal like she has been even on social media, because opening up and being vulnerable might actually not only help someone else in learning about this condition, but it also actually might help you in finding someone that you can relate to and kind of bounce back of, oh, I had the best day ever, or okay, today was just too much for me to handle as a mom. So, you know, I just need an outlet. And I think knowing someone that's going through your situation, it's always good to have that outlet. I appreciate having you on so much. Uh, I look up to you so much for all of your education, everything that you kind of dove into and figured out on your own. I can't even begin to imagine. So I'm looking forward to watching your kids grow up and the journey and you being that warrior mom and figuring things out as you go. And uh, I'm honored and really blessed to have you on today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And anybody that wants to reach out, message me. I pretty much respond. I respond to everybody. So eventually, (laughs) of course. But yes, thank you so much for having me on here. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and spending your time hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast and a special thank you to all our sponsors. Make sure to check them out. If you have any tips or topics, feel free to email me at littlebitoflifecast at gmail.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at littlecute1az. You never know if your topic will be next. Be sure to join me again for another episode of Little Bit of Life. Until next time, stay positive, stay blessed.